I just want a quick shout out to our friends at Pinaroo uh, and I'm looking forward to catching up with you in person next weekend when I get down there to share with you. Well, this time of year, I get excited because it's time to get back in the water or on the water. The sun is warm enough in the sky and the water temperature has gone up enough that you can get into it, at least if you stay near the surface. I love this time of year. I love being on the water. I love being in the water, whether that's in a boat, behind a boat, on a kayak, snorkeling with a bodyboard. Haven't ever advanced to a surfboard. Who knows? I might learn yet. Oh, Kynan, who's a bodyboard superstar, just said it's not an advancement going to a surfboard. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I do love the water. And this time of year, we get to go up the river with our kids and our kids with some friends own a really smick ski boat. And so we get to be on the water and behind the boat and enjoy time with the family. And last weekend, I was up there Friday, Saturday, and was able to do something new that I'd never done before on a wakeboard. My son, through a bit of coaching, enabled me to get a bit of air over the wake on a wakeboard. That was pretty exciting. And uh, so I'm looking forward to the next time I get to go up there and do it again and maybe push a bit further. You see, I live with this hope that I can, whenever I go up the river, I can do something new, I can learn something more, I can push things a little further, even at my age. Now, I was back here on Sunday last weekend and my arms and my legs were having something to say about that new thing that I did. And so there's this other side of me at my age that's kind of, it's also aware that one day it'll be my last ski. It'll be the last time behind the boat. Now, I need to say to you, I ain't there yet. So... Today we're going to talk about hope and that story about me behind the boat is just a, a little example of how hope injects some interest into life some, uh, to life, some inspiration, something to look forward to. And I believe that hope is an essential to life. The ancient writer of the Proverbs in the Old Testament, maybe two and a half, three thousand years ago, wrote these words that ring true today. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Isn't that true? But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. What would life be like without hope? Why would you want to get up in the morning if there was nothing to look forward to, no purpose, no hope? You know, hope has this power to inspire us, to enable us, to sustain us. It's, hope is like a lubricant for life. It makes life work. So let me ask you, what's on your hope list, your list of hopes? And I say hopes plural because I believe we all have a list of hopes, not just one hope. What's on your hopes list? Now, as you think about that, I suspect you realise that there are hopes at different magnitudes, of different importance in your life. And they're all good, and I think we need all of those various types of hopes in our life. 
There's the personal transient kind of hope. My wife Mary cooked a new recipe midweek because her sister was staying with us and she's a vegetarian. And Mary cooked this dish which meant cooking pasta but then just mixing raw mushrooms with some lemon juice and other stuff in a bowl and putting them together and I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm going to go hungry tonight. (laughs) But Mary cooked it with the hope that her sister would enjoy it and that I might like it as well. Well, her hope was fulfilled. At the end of the meal, I was hoping there were leftovers so I could take some for lunch uh, the following day. You know, each year... Farm families begin the year hoping for a good harvest and good prices. But then there are hopes that we share with others, and again, in this, but in this kind of transient level, you know, starting the, the sporting season, hoping that your team will win the grand final or at least win more games than they lose, which will be the Crows fans coming next year when the footy season starts again. By... If you've been looking at uh, those of you around this area, if you've been following social media, there are a lot of Tea Tree Gully residents hoping that the community carols in the park won't be ticketed next year. But then there are deeper hopes that we hold more personally, that you might meet that right person one day, and many of you already have, that you can spend the rest of your life with and enjoy life with and have children and one day grandchildren and all the joys that go with that. There's the hope of finding a vocation that you will enjoy, that will be fulfilling and prosperous and sustain you and your family. The hope of generally doing well in life, of being healthy, having friends and enjoyment throughout your life. And then there are those more altruistic hopes that we would share with others. Around the world right now, the majority, I think, of the world would be hoping our political leaders would take significant action against climate change. Across India and for Indian communities around the world, this week is the beginning of the Diwali Festival, the Festival of Lights, where they light millions of candles and lights right across India and they'll be doing it in other parts of the world and they're celebrating the hope of good overcoming evil. And there's an Indian prayer that many Indian people know that goes something like this. Lead me from falsehood to truth. Lead me from darkness to light. Lead me from death to immortality. And these verses, they cry out a hope that I think many human beings innately carry in their heart that light, goodness, one day will overcome the darkness and evil. Now, we all need these various degrees of hope in our life to infuse our everyday life so that we might thrive from day to day. There's a movie that some of you may have seen, The Shawshank Redemption. Who's seen that movie? Quite a few of you. Well, Andy Dufresne, the, the main character in the movie, a white guy who was falsely accused of a crime, was sent to prison. And as he was there for a while and got kind of to know some people, he was sharing with one of the other prisoners who became a good friend. And he said to his friend Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing dies. Hope is something that carries us forward. And yet, 
We also know that hopes can be delayed. Hopes can under-deliver. Our hopes can even be derailed and end up not coming true. Marriages can fail. Jobs can come to an end. Hailstorms and severe wind and rain and frost can wreck farmers' harvests before they get there. Conflict can erupt when we don't expect it. And so in that conversation that Andy has with Red, Red who has been there a long time and year by year he has a parole interview and he is denied parole each time. And so Red responds to Andy with these words, hope is a dangerous thing. It can drive a man insane and he pushes himself away from the table and storms off. The fact is that many hopes aren't fulfilled. Even though they are a good hope to have and they help us live with positivity and and outward-lookingness, but they're not guaranteed. And even when our hopes are fulfilled, they have a use-by date. You know, a long-term marriage ends when one of the partners dies and it may have been a good marriage. It's not a bad thing that they die but that hope of spending life with them comes to an end. A bumper crop this season for our farmers in South Australia and there are higher prices for uh, the grains that they are growing and for sheep and meat does not guarantee a good crop next year. They need to hope again. So it raises the question, is there a hope that will never disappoint? Is there a hope that has no expiry date? Well, as we go through this series exemplar, looking at Paul's letter to the Thessalonican Christians, Paul had to help them as they began to grapple with this question as well. They, like any other person of faith or no faith, will have times where there is pushback against their hope where their hope is questioned, where they may begin to doubt, where others may mock them because of the hope they hold on to. Now these young Christians in Thessalonica, Paul had, was the first one to bring them the good news of Jesus and many had come to faith. Three weeks later, Paul was forced to flee and he had to leave them. But they had met the resurrected Jesus themselves. They had experienced the resurrection power of Jesus in their lives and their hearts had been transformed by Jesus. And so they were now living with a great freedom and confidence and in a new way that they didn't have before. And Paul undoubtedly, while he was there with them, had told them what Jesus had taught. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, Whoever lives and believes in me, though they die, will never die. That he would raise them up at the last day. And Paul would have taught them what Jesus had said, that I'm coming back, there is a day coming when I will return again and I will wrap all things up and there will be a final end to evil and sin and its impacts here on earth. And it will only be good beyond that. So they were living with this hope. 
but it would appear that some of their number had died. And they were still in the grave. They had not been risen to life. And Jesus hadn't returned yet. And it was possible that some of those who were persecuting them were mocking them, saying, you say that there's resurrection from, from death if you believe in Jesus. Well, your friends are still in the grave and we don't see this Jesus you're talking about. And so it's possible that they began to question this hope that they felt was infallible. And so Paul writes to them, as they maybe are thinking, is our hope really in vain? And so we pick up the reading as Paul addresses this issue in chapter 4, verse 13. And Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, those who have died trusting in Jesus. According to the Lord's word, Jesus' word himself, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That's the sure and certain hope we have. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, Paul fills in a few blanks that he may not have had time to explain, but he does it very simply. And Christians in the century since have had long discussions and debates about exactly what that's going to look like and what's the timeline in between. Well, I don't want to go into that today, but Paul really was just simply saying this. Whether you have died trusting in Jesus or whether you're still alive trusting in Jesus when he returns, it doesn't matter because we will all be raised to life with him for eternity. Your hope is guaranteed. Your hope, this hope you have because you trust in Jesus, does not have an expiry date. It never runs out. Paul said at the beginning of that little passage, he said, we don't want you to be like the other people who have no hope. You know, death gets us all, whether you're a Christian or not. It's going to happen. And for the unbeliever, death becomes a full stop. It's the end. All hopes are extinguished when death comes. But not so for us who put our faith in Jesus because we have this sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life because Jesus has gone before us in his resurrection. As Paul wrote in another letter on this topic, as he wrote to Christians in Corinth, he said this, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, when the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written 
will come true. And Paul goes on and quotes from the Old Testament, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your sting? Where, O oh death, is your victory? And he goes on with the answer. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. A week and a bit ago, we celebrated the funeral and the life of our oldest member, Jess Stapledon, 103 years old. A lady who'd lived her life for decades trusting Jesus. And in a way that it impacted her life and the theme that came through from all the things that were shared was that when people met Jess, they knew that she took an interest in them. They were noticed and known. She only handed in her driver's licence at 102. I'm not sure whether that was a good thing or a bad thing, but anyway, it's history. Yes, we grieve the loss of those who die, those who are close to us and so on. But for the Christian, it's different. Jess's funeral was a celebration of life. And Glenys' funeral coming up on Tuesday will be a celebration of life lived and a life that continues. Because Christian funerals celebrate a promise fulfilled and a hope realised. And it's a hope that is proven true in advance. A lot of our other hopes in life are, well, we'll know it was a good hope when it happens when it's fulfilled, but this hope has been true, uh, proven true in advance through Jesus' own resurrection. You see, when Jesus rose to life, he didn't raise to life to then die again when he got to 70 or 80 or 100. He was raised to life to live forever, never to die again, and is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven for us living a victory over death that he now shares with us, that has become ours. And so this eternal life that Jesus gives us begins the moment we believe. And death is not the end, it's just a transition because this eternal life begun now continues through the grave and beyond for eternity. And not just in some kind of wafting spirit around the universe, but with Jesus himself and the whole communion of saints who have gone before and who will follow after us. So what does that mean for how we live our life right now? How does it change things? Well, first of all, it's just good news. It's good news because we know how the story continues. I used to say we know how the story ends. No, it's actually not an ending. It's a continuation and we know in advance, which firstly means we can live with certainty and confidence. You know, like the Thessalonians who are getting opposition and persecution, at times we may experience that probably rarely to a level that they did. We might get some pushback at work from colleagues who don't understand our faith, who might mock us, who may not like the way we live out our Christian life and the ethics that we live with because it's confronting to them. 
But we don't have to give in to them and toe their line because our future is secure with Jesus no matter what happens now. We can live in freedom now because we know how the story continues. And so we can take risks in loving and serving others. And throughout the history of the church over the last 2,000 years, the risks that Christians have taken for the sake of others is phenomenal. And the list is so huge we could never repeat it. You can risk failing along the way in other endeavours because your reward is already established. And other people's evaluation of you actually in the end doesn't matter because Jesus has already determined your value and he says, I love you and you are mine and I will never let you go. You can live an empowered and purposeful life because Jesus is on your side. If he has secured your reward already, then you know he is going to stand with you on the journey to that end. And if he calls you to something, then he is going to stand with you so that you can be faithful and fruitful in what he calls you to do. Naysayers have no power, have no influence because of what Jesus has already said and done. Human limitations, your own limitations, do not dictate how your life will unfold because Jesus has intervened. And Jesus not only at the end has intervened, Jesus has intervened now that his resources, his power may be yours. As we sang in that song before the sermon, he's given us his authority. As we journey through life, we can keep an even keel We don't have to be swayed this way and that. We don't have to go through great highs but then crash to great lows. We can celebrate successes and enjoy the moment but not hang on to them as the ultimate goal because they are kept in perspective because there is a greater goal that we're headed for. And our losses and our sufferings, are seen for what they are, bumps on the road, not a dead end. Bumps on the road to a greater reward and a glorious future. And we become unstoppable. Have you ever said that about yourself? I'm unstoppable. How about you say it now? And those of you online, you get it easier because no one's around you. And you can say one here. But why don't you say this? Just say out loud, I am unstoppable. With me, I am unstoppable. Not because you're superwoman or superman, but because of Jesus who is with you. Because of this enduring hope that we have. You see, resilience is built upon an enduring hope. Studying church history is a great thing to encourage you. Because you see throughout church history, the most powerful people, the most powerful political movements, the most worst of circumstances and events have never stopped the church, have never stopped Christian people from loving and serving others, from worshipping Jesus, 
from extending the kingdom of God and sharing the good news with others. Never. In fact, sometimes under the worst of circumstances, under the greatest of oppression, is when the church has grown the most. And China would be a modern example of that. Why? Because people have met the risen Lord Jesus and they've experienced his resurrection power in their lives and they have seen their own lives transformed by his saving work and grace and they know that no one and nothing can steal that from them and they have this sure and certain hope. And so no matter what anyone throws at them, they're going to keep living for Jesus and sharing the good news and the hope that they already have. And it all begins when we step into a relationship with Jesus and put our trust in him. It's when you know Jesus yourself, when you experience yourself, the risen Lord Jesus and his resurrection power, that you gain this hope. A hope that has no expiry date, a hope that will change your life now and forever. If you're with us today, online or on site, and you're someone that knows about Jesus but doesn't know him, then make the decision today to start a relationship with him. Say yes to Jesus. Invite him into your life. Let him forgive your sins. Let him become the leader of your life and let his hope and his love infuse your daily life. If you're someone who has this hope but it's become frayed, jaded because of circumstances or things and in a sense your focus has gone from this one eternal enduring hope to the more immediate things in your life, then let Jesus lift your eyes again. Let him show you again this hope that is yours so that these other things in your life might fall into their proper perspective. Let's pray. And as we're praying, if you're here or even listening online, and you want to take that first step of faith today, I just invite you now to raise your hand. No one else is looking. I might pray with you. There's no one raising their hand here, but there may be online, so let me pray for you. Lord, for anyone who in their heart right now is saying, Lord Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. Lord Jesus, make yourself real to them right now in this instant. Fill them with your Holy Spirit as you've promised. Pour your love into their hearts so they may feel it and know it. Infuse them with this hope that they know, that they know, that they know. And Lord, give them fresh eyes to see their life and the world around them in a new way, with your eyes and with your heart. Lord, for any whose hope has been frayed, 
as certain things have loomed large in their life and maybe consumed their thinking and their vision. Lord, I pray that you would shrink those things back to their proper size. You would help them lift their eyes to this sure and certain hope again, that you would reinvigorate their faith, inspire them afresh, that they've got this because you are with them and that they may step forward again with positivity and faith and expectation. And Lord, for all of us, I pray that you would fill us afresh with hope, with joy and peace as we trust in you so that we may overflow with this hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might be a people who not only are a light to the world but are a beacon of hope to the world in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me as we continue to sing and finish our service with this great song. And as I often think and say, thank God our church is called Hope Valley.